0: CHAPTER Twelve OF CROSS-CURRENTS, THIS LibriVox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN, READ FOR YOU BY Chiquito CRASTO. THE Whalens MADE ARTIFICIAL FLOWERS. THE CHILDREN, IT IS TRUE, WENT TO SCHOOL, A PART OF THE TIME. BUT EARLY IN THE MORNING, BEFORE SCHOOL AND LATE AT NIGHT AFTER SCHOOL, THEY WORKED WITH THEIR MOTHER MAKING ARTIFICIAL ROSES AT NINE CENTS A DOZEN DOZEN, AND EACH ROSE MEANT A FLOWER WITH ITS BUD, LEAF AND STEM. The roses ain't live ones, are they? Maggie had asked that first day that she saw them. Sure, and of course they ain't that, Mrs. Wayland retorted in good-natured scorn. And how pray would the fine ladies be a wearing of em and their bunnets if they was? Sure, and they wouldn't keep fresh while ye winked. Maggie was silent. She gazed at Mrs. Wayland with a troubled frown. Her eyes were sombre and perplexed, and seemed to be looking through and beyond the woman into limitless space, where a half-forgotten memory was slowly taking shape. "'I thought—' she said then, slowly, laying down the rose she had lifted to her face. "'I thought flowers smelled good.' One day, Mrs. Wayland very obligingly offered to teach Maggie the art of making artificial flowers. Maggie was overjoyed. Was it possible that she, she, could learn to do this beautiful thing? "'Miss Whalen? could I, could I?' She cried incredulously. "'Sure, and why not? A great girl like you? You could help me make em anyhow. Why, even Jamie, hisself, bless his little heart, does that, and he ain't much more'n for. four. Sure, ye can do it, and I'll pay you what you earn, too, that I will.' It shan't be said as how Bridget Whalen is after cheating a poor child out her honest wages." Pay? That was even better than Maggie had expected. Not only was she to handle these beautiful bits of color and fashion them into their wondrous shapes, but she was to receive pay for it. One was paid to be sure, at least some people were, for sewing buttons onto coarse cloth or for pasting together the edges of an unlovely brown bag. She could understand that. But this? Maggie began to work at once. Her part was to wind the wire with green paper, thrust the little stamens through the flower petals, or sort the heaps of pink and red petals waiting for their green stems. And it was not long before her thin little fingers became very skillful. To be sure, it took a great many hours' work to earn a very little money mrs whalen herself was paid only nine cents for twelve dozen roses and of course pushing through the stems or sorting out the petals was worth only a very small portion of the nine cents besides there were so many many roses in a dozen dozen if one really wants to know how many one should lay them in a spiral line round and round on the table as maggie did and then trace with the finger all the long weary red way that must be sorted and pushed and twisted before one's share of the nine cents can be earned. Maggie worked hard, and for long hours at a time. She was ambitious. She did not wish to shirk contributing her share toward the running expenses of the cooperative housekeeping establishment. She did not have to work alone, for, besides Mrs. Whalen, there were the Whalen children. There was no school now, and they could give their undivided attention to the flower-making. They grew thin and tired, to be sure and all the color from their cheeks went into the artificial roses in their hands. But that did not matter so much after all. However, for in the end it was a gain. The roses in the cheeks brought nothing, while those in the hands brought nine cents a dozen dozen. Day in and day out Maggie worked at her task. She even sat up until far into the night sometimes. The Waylands did. Why should not she? Twice she fell asleep over her work, and had to be shaken gently by Mrs. Whalen her thin face grew thinner and her small back ached with a constant bending after a time too the dye in the brightly colored bits of cloth made her eyes and lips sore it was then that patty murphy came home one day with a bright new twenty-five cent piece oh my patty cried maggie in envious delight where did you get it out of a man's pocket to be sure retorted patty airily he dropped it El- didn't you tell him asked maggie hesitatingly tell him exclaimed patty in open scorn no course not how'd i got the money if i'd a told him say you are easy her eyes swept the table the flowers and maggie's thin little face for i'd kill myself over a mess of pink and red posies she jeered this is heaps easier and she tossed the bit of silver back and forth in her hands Maggie was silent. For some days now, a horrible thought had come to her with ever-increasing frequency. This flower-making! Was it so very different, after all, from the button-sewing and the bag-pasting? Wistfully, her eyes followed the sheen of the silver, as the coin leaped from one little brown palm to the other. "'Paddy,' she began slowly, "'did you ever see any other man drop money?' "'Sure, heaps of times,' fibbed Patty promptly. For I'd kill myself over a mess of pink and red posies,' she scoffed again. That marked the beginning of the end. The charm of the flowers faded. The glory of earning one's share of nine cents a dozen dozen dwindled. On the other hand, this amazingly easy accession to wealth and ease, as illustrated by Patty, and her twenty-five-cent piece, became more alluring. There came a day at last when Maggie turned her back on the piles of pink and red petals and went out of doors into the street. It was not long before she found how much easier it was—this taking a loaf of bread or an apple from an unguarded cart, or this begging a nickel from a passer-by. True to her training, she kept a wary eye out for the cops, and the fact that she must be so careful lent interest and piquancy to the day's work. To Maggie the whole world was against her. Consequently. She herself was against the whole world. Week by week her wits grew sharper. Month by month her powers of resistance increased. At seven she was a force to be reckoned with, and at eight she queened it royally over every boy and girl in the alley. She headed every plot for mischief and dominated every plan for gain. The old woman at the foot of the alley, noted for her persecution of the children in days past, knew her as a terror, and the officer in the corner knew her as the cause of half the trouble on his beat. And yet, there was not a dog in the neighborhood that did not bark with joy at sight of her, nor a cat that did not rub against her feet, and there was not a sick baby or a crippled child that did not find in her a never-failing comfort and defense. As for school, Maggie knew little of school, and school knew less of Maggie. The schoolman did not seem to know of her existence. For two years now, Mrs. Kendall's daughter had lived in the Waylands' basement room. She was eight now, a lithe, thin-chested, sharp-featured little creature, very unlike the little maid that had been left at the Grand Central Station three years before. The blue eyes were there, it is true, but they were no longer limpidly sweet. They were bright, wide open, and keenly alert for the best chance. The golden curls were there also, but they were cut shorter now, and were tangled untidily three years of neglect and abuse had told woefully upon the child all the graces of mind and body that were hers by heredity and early training seemed to have slipped from her leaving her fully exposed to the evils of her environment little by little the old ways had been dropped little by little the old manner of speaking had been forgotten and margaret kendall dainty sweet and lovable had become mag of the alley pert mischievous and willful but still lovable For nothing had quite taken away the warm tender little heart. End of chapter twelve read for you by chiquito crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.